Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free, <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Oh my god! Hello and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the planet-encircling podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, itching to set up his new computer in Cambridge, UK. And me, Melinda, looking forward to eating my first homegrown Meyer lemons over here in Atlanta, Georgia. We focus on forgotten fantasy, sci-fi and horror films because we love immortal women with swords, Muppety musical numbers and quivering green cocoons. Hello, <laughs> Melinda. <laughs> Hello, Conrad. So happy to be here with you today. Well, thank you so much for sitting in. So this is a first ever for Movie Oubliette. Dan is on holiday. Oh. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. No, it's amazing. I wish I were on holiday. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I know. Exactly. We started this podcast before the pandemic and we'd recorded enough episodes so that he could go on holiday that year. <laughs> then there were three years where nobody went anywhere. So this year he's gone on a holiday and you were very kind enough to say that you would keep his seat warm for him. Well, I am thrilled to be sitting in for Dan. I hope I can step into his very large shoes and do a good <laughs> job of being your co-host for this episode. I'm sure you will. But first things first, you're already in good stead because you're growing your own food now? <laughs> yes. Well, years ago, speaking of the pandemic, I planted a Meyer lemon tree in this pot. Uh, her name is Miss Lemon Okay. Uh, from Poirot, you know. And during the wintertime, I every day bring her in and out in her very heavy pot. You know, they are very stickery. They have like thorns that will stab you when you're trying to move the plant. Wow. But she's finally, after like two or three years, she's finally producing fruit. So she's got like five different little lemons that are still green, but they're growing. And I'm just waiting with anticipation, like, what can I make with my five Meyer lemons that I, that I may end up having after three years of watering and caring daily for Miss Lemon? <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Better be something damn good. <laughs> I know. I don't have any idea what to do. I'm thinking maybe some sort of cake, but I don't know. I just, I'm excited. Yeah. I've never had a Meyer lemon before. They're apparently wonderful. Oh, they're sweeter or something? Or Yes, they're much sweeter. They are not tart, really. And you can actually eat the peel, like not the whole peel, but like the outer part of the peel. So if you oh. like, they're very sweet and delicate, apparently. Well, I'm sure Dan, if he were here, would have lots of recipe ideas for you. But uh... Uh, Well, I'll have to hit him up. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. So you've got a new computer. That's so exciting. Tell me all about it. Oh, well, I replace my computer every four or five years. Uh -huh. And in the intervening years since I bought this one, Apple have stopped doing 27-inch iMacs. Ugh. You can't get them anymore. The nerve. I know. Oh, my God. So now you just have to buy 
like separate bits. So yeah. I have taken the plunge and bought an Apple Studio. Oh, well, that sounds exciting. Does, so yeah. are you spending the weekend setting that up then, I guess? I am, yeah, because I just love moving files around and reinstalling applications and optimizing leads and connections. Oh. I'm a huge nerd, Melinda. <laughs> That's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, tragic. <laughs> well, so Conrad, has anyone emailed the podcast? Thankfully, they have, yes. We heard from Phil on Ice Pirates, and he said, Oh, the Ice Pirates and that robot scene, Conrad. First, it was the pimp robot with speaking lines, no less. Shortly later, a robot begging for dollars. And then the pedestrian robot family gets destroyed. I did laugh and then immediately realized I'm sure going to hell. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. yes. We also heard from Chazilla on Zaythura. I can't believe I watched a movie with Kay Stew in it on purpose twice. Blech! Insert vomit sound effect. Aw, Kay Stew. Aww. I love her. At least she was asleep <laughs> or frozen for most of it. Interesting foreshadowing that she develops a crush on the first man she sees. Ooh. Oh, dear. <laughs> Bit of a roast there from Chisela. What's your position on K-Stew? Well, I try not to judge people like actors too harshly because I feel like the media does all kinds of spin work, but I certainly can't judge her too much because I've watched the Twilight series about 47 times. So, oh, know. wow. <laughs> so you like pale English guys then? Oh, I love pale English guys. Mm. I mean, I got the closest I could get while actually marrying an American. He's like the closest to a pale British guy yes. that you can get over here. Yeah. Yeah. I got my pale British guy on wish.com. I'm just kidding, Michael. Don't be mad. And he's mint on card. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, we do love hearing from you. So please keep sending those emails and answering our social posts. Yes, definitely. Mm. So Melinda, what are we going to be covering today? Well, let me bounce my stripy ball over to the oubliette and take a look down there. Ooh. Wow, it's really windy down here. Oh, stop it. That's better. Okay, I see the movie. It looks like it's in a glass case. Let me just open this up. Okay, I've got it. Hey, what's that? Uh -oh. ah! You okay? Hey, did you pop your cookies? Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Hey, is is that a new ring you've got there? Yeah, I, I just found it. This is sort of green and shiny. Cool, huh? So what film have you got for us then, Melinda? We have Troll, allegedly a horror comedy, but really an urban fantasy from 1986, produced by Charles Band of Empire Pictures and starring Noah Hathaway from The NeverEnding Story, Phil Fondacaro, Sonny Bono, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, okay. That's an interesting lineup. What happens in this movie? So Troll is the story of Harry Potter, who what? moved... <laughs> Oh, you weren't expecting that? Yeah, he moves to an apartment building with his parents and sister, only to find that his sister is no longer her annoying self, but seems to be something much more sinister. She growls, she eats slimy hamburgers by rubbing her face into them, and she throws them across the room for fun. He's nearly convinced that she's a pod person from Mars until he meets the nice witch upstairs who tells him she's something much worse, a troll. Oh. Will Harry be able to save his sister? Will his dad postpone dancing like a huge nerd long enough to hold the last safe apartment from the fairy onslaught? Will any of the residents of the building make it out alive? Find out when we come back. 
See, the way you describe it, it almost sounds sane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to drop acid before you watch this movie. You really do. <laughs> I can't wait. And we're back to talk about Troll. I've got Melinda here from Retro Blasting in Dreamland. Thank you so much again for joining us. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So when did you first see this movie? What's your history with it? I feel like it was about 1987. I was living in Alaska. I was about 11 years old. And this movie came on HBO or something like that. Ah. And it was on regular repeat. And so I watched it probably 30 times, like every single time it came on, I just happened to have the TV on. And I had a TV in my room, which really helped me to see it even more frequently. Oh, was it like a portable that you kept under your bed? (laughs) It was similar. It wasn't quite portable, but it was pretty small. Okay. But yeah, I don't even think that weirdly, I don't think I ever made the connection that Atreyu is actually the main character, Harry Potter Jr. He does look very different with shorter hair, doesn't he? And he's a few years older, isn't he? Yes, yes. But I always thought he was cute, but there's something about a long hair guy, you know? (laughs) But yeah, I never made that connection as a kid, but I was obsessed with the movie. Like, I never even thought of it as a horror movie. I always thought of it as like a fairy tale. Right. Yeah. With some gruesome aspects to it, which, as we know from our Dreamland episode on fairy tales, they often have. Exactly. I felt like it was like a real fairy tale, like the kind with teeth, you know? Yeah, unvarnished. (laughs) I saw this on rental VHS. (laughs) Yeah, I deliberately got this from the store. Oh, no. I have to say, I remember the cover for this has the troll. And when he's sort of got resting troll face, he looks kind of smiley and happy, like a cheerful grandfather. Yes. A little bit like Hoggle from the Labyrinth. Yes. So I thought that I was getting some sort of (laughs) Smiley, happy, exciting, fantasy world adventure. And then I got Sonny Bono being turned into a green turd in his apartment, which was not what I was expecting in the slightest. But still, I was kind of bewitched by it as a 11-year-old. Okay. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I don't think you can ever expect what you're going to get with this movie. No. Whether you've seen the trailer, whether you've just seen the box cover, like you're never going to guess what the tone of this movie is. No, you're not. (laughs) It's quite a unique one. So it's directed by John Carl Beekler. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he is primarily, he was a special effects designer. So he obviously is working on all of the special effects in this movie. Lots of makeups, lots of puppets. Yes. I'm not sure if this is his directorial debut. It was. It, oh, this is, okay. uh, yeah, I, I wrote, this is what happens when a special effects guy directs a movie in the 80s. Yes. Uh, and this was his first feature film. And this is also what a movie that Roger Corman passes on looks like, because apparently <laughs> they had taken the script to Roger Corman at one point and he was like, yeah, hard pass. Wow. So- okay. <laughs> A Roger Corman reject. That's not good, is it? (laughs) Well, I disagree. I think this movie is absolutely stunning. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's break that down. Okay. I mean, it's a peculiar one. It's quite inept, it has to be said, Uh from a directorial standpoint. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of scenes where it just sort of relies on the master shot. There's a lot of scenes that look like it's just sort of a parent with a camcorder filming some sort of school production. (laughs) 
<laughs> up against a flat wall. Yeah. Master shots, massive close-ups, nothing in between. Mm-hmm. But sometimes he does some sort of over-the-shoulder or point-of-view shots and gets a bit creative. But largely, it's quite inept. <laughs> Not horrifically inept, but quite inept. <laughs> Frequently, I noticed complete lapses in ability to define where things are in relation to others when you cut from one <laughs> shot to another. It's like I got sort of three quarters through the movie before I realized that Harry Potter, the main character, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that in a moment, <laughs> but Harry Potter, the main character, played by Atreyu, is sharing a bedroom with his sister. Yeah, I did not pick that up the first time I even watched it, except that one scene where he's like lying in bed and looking over at his sister. And I'm like, wait, how old is he supposed to be? Because he looks like he's about 14 or 15 and his little sister is probably seven or eight. Yeah. Can you imagine that setup in your life if you were that age? That's not going to end well because he's deep into the mm-hmm. suspiciously stiff sock <laughs> period of his life. Right. That's what I'm thinking. And it's like, there's the scene in the movie where he asks his dad to keep Wendy Ann, that's the sister Wendy, out of the room. And his dad's like, well, why? You know, and I'm thinking, I would think that would be a regular request. Yeah. For a teenager. Yeah. yeah he couches it as, you know, because she's a monster, but... <laughs> Well, he says that he's concerned that she might get his sickness. Well, yeah, he's doing those calculations really quickly in his mind to like keep her out. That's not really why he's obviously wanting her out of there. No, no, she's been possessed by a troll (laughs) in the opening scene, which led me to believe, hang on, have we just opened this movie killing a small child? Yeah. Which is bold. It is bold. I like that. I I like a bold movie. I mean, obviously this movie, there's a ton of puppets. Anybody who knows me knows that I hate puppety, muppety things. But for some reason, maybe it's because they're all bad guys. Yeah. Like we're not really supposed to like them. So the fact that they creep me out helps for me. (laughs) (laughs) But this is very much inspired by Ghoulies, right? Like we're talking Mm. about the same people who worked on Ghoulies. It also is clearly inspired by just the concept of a bunch of different fairy tales, which we may get into later. And there's something lightly in there about like bad relationships. (laughs) Like when we talk about Eunice, the older witch character, all of this, she apparently at one point was engaged to the troll yeah. before he became a troll. And there's something about, that's very fairy tale too. Like, you know, you fall in love with someone, they change. It's kind of like that Buffy angel setup. Yeah. And then you kind of have to like... Jab them with a spear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's a common story. <laughs> Tale as old as time. I mean... <laughs> So it's pretty amateurish. It's clearly a low budget film. It's clearly a director's first movie. Mm -hmm. But then also there's the story logic, which I have to say I found utterly baffling. (laughs) So it's an apartment building... Right. For some reason, there is a troll in it. Never explained why. Yeah, she literally pulls a J.J. Abrams when the kid, like, why are you here? and, And why is the troll here? And she says, I don't know, but I think that this is what he's trying to do. Yes. That's the point in the movie where she introduces a time lock. He's got three days to finish his diabolical plan to turn every room in this apartment building into a fairy troll wonderland. Really? (laughs) When was this mentioned? (laughs) Right. I don't know how she knows that. No. I don't know how anybody knows any of the things that they know in this movie. You're not supposed to think about any of that. No. 
And then it doesn't matter anyway, because you just have a collection no. of scenes of people wandering around indoors with a wind machine blowing their hair, mm-hmm. with plastic vines creeping out from under doors, <laughs> vaguely waving metal implements at Muppets. That's right. Yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> and before that, you just have lots of scenes of the troll who is now the sister since the opening scene where the sister is possessed or taken over by the troll or the troll can take the form of the sister. It's not really clear. It's the troll taking the form of the sister. They've shuttled her into the troll wonderland, whatever you want to call that. Troll land, yeah. I guess. Fairyland. And she's asleep in a Sleeping Beauty glass coffin looking thing, which we see later in the film. Which we do, yeah. But it has like a laser covering, so it's nice and futuristic. That's right. Everything in this movie is electricity and lasers. Of course. I mean, because it's the 80s. (laughs) Yeah. Got to get some neon in there somehow. (laughs) That's right. But look, I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of holes in this movie. I mean, basically what it is, is that they make almost all of the characters in the film unlikable. Like all the tenants of this apartment building are somewhat, the likable ones seem like they fare better in terms of being possessed or turned into fairies or whatever they get turned into. Whereas the jerks, like there are two men who live in the apartment building who are not very nice we've established. Yeah. They're both predators in one way or another. One is more of a predator of women and the other is a predator of animals. Yeah. A hunter guy, you know. But they're both not likable characters. And so when they get singled out and attacked by the troll in their apartments, they get turned into like you said, they, it looks like a giant turd, but it, it <laughs> basically they blow up, they get really like swollen and then they turn into a cocoon and then these fairy puppet things hatch out of them. So like they look to be dead. Yes. One would assume they can't possibly survive even when the troll gets defeated. Like they're probably goners, right? I think so. So it's just convenient that the little sister who went first is held in a glass coffin for the finale to be rescued. And it's because the troll, Turok, will want to keep her. Just one. For some reason. Yeah, Yeah. he just wants one, I guess it's the opposite of Noah's Ark. So he wants to like (laughs) get rid of humanity, but he wants to keep just like one specimen. Yeah. And she literally says a fair haired princess. So like you want a little blonde girl. Of course. I mean, they are German, right? Like, (laughs) and I say that because the holiday that they reference is a German name for that holiday. So clearly the origin of this particular thing is Germany. Yeah, obviously. So he goes from apartment to apartment, turning all of these awful characters and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is not set up as a horrible character. She's just kind of fun with a hideous 80s perm. (laughs) I kind of like the scene where the troll trolling her obviously says something about she's beautiful, but then says beauty fades. And then you think, (laughs) yeah, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus is even better looking 40 years later than she is in this movie. Who knew? I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus famously is embarrassed by having been in this movie at all. Really? Yeah. She made an appearance on Jay Leno 
back in like 2013 and he pulled a clip where she turns into a wood nymph oh yeah and plays it on the show and she called him some kind of like curse word several times in a row like they bleeped her out like she was not happy really yeah i don't know if that was like set up most of those things are but it's interesting and this is like a little pre-trivia trivia the guy that she's with in the scenes where she's like her boyfriend or her husband or whatever, they don't make it clear. That was really her boyfriend who then later became her husband in real life. Oh, are they still together? I think so. Oh, cool. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those early turns. It's like Jennifer Aniston in Leprechaun or Leonardo DiCaprio in Critters. That's exactly what I was going to say is it's very much like Jennifer and Leprechaun. Um, Julia said, you know, oh, it's a free trip to Rome. So yeah. that's why I took the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do find it interesting that all of the guys turn into slimy green turds with blood on them, almost like they're stools that have been passed <laughs> by somebody with hemorrhoids and sprout vines and lots of little Muppety troll creatures. Mm-hmm. But Julia Louis-Dreyfus turns into Miss Troll with a sash of vines. Yes. Skipping around naked. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I don't know. I mean, Malcolm, who is the man upstairs, who is a little person, and he's the actor is actually the one inside the troll costume as well. But he doesn't turn into a cocoon hatchling thing but he turns into a weird slimy little puppet yeah so it might have been interesting to see him running around naked with vines sort of draped across him like a wood nymph as well be different i mean it would be (laughs) unique for sure but i yeah i guess that's just sort of the depiction of like sexy ladies in fairy mythology i don't know yeah i guess that she's kind of the troll version of smurfette <laughs> She's the only girl. That's right. Although there are multiples, aren't there, later? That, yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. There are like three of her somehow. Giggling. Yeah. They're like mitosis where they just like start splitting. Like yeah. all of them start doing that. <laughs> like one dude turns into like seven hobgoblins. And I say hobgoblins because the movie Hobgoblins and Ghoulies and Critters and all of those like ghoul movies with little puppets from the 80s, they all kind of look alike and they all kind of look really cheesy and it's hard to take it seriously as a horror movie. So that's why it's not really horror. It's not scary at all. No, not really. I think Sonny Bono's demise is pretty grotesque because that gets into the realm of makeups on a human being with the sort of bladder effects, the pulsating. Sure. That's a little bit gross and disturbing. I always remember that as a kid that I enjoyed that part. Me too. I think that particular scene in terms of special effects, and we we can talk about this later, but it is probably the most elaborate special effect that they do in the entire film is his transformation scene. And yeah, I, I mean, I feel like given the level of movie, we're talking about a million dollar film, which is not a, a large budget. I think they did a pretty good job with the way they had to do that all practical. Yeah, I think it did look pretty good. And I like also the troll, oh. the main troll itself. Yeah, He's a pretty damn good costume. And there are lots of different facial expressions that he pulls off. I don't know if it's different heads for different scenes but it's very good i think it's what the materials were that they used Mm. because you can really see on his face if he like raises his eyebrows in surprise or if he furrows his brow or he sort of smiles it's not just the mouth moving like it's his whole face smiling and i don't know if it's glued to like certain muscles on his face but it's apparently a very lightweight fluffy sort of foam latex type thing that can move with his actual face and he has a very expressive face anyway 
and his eyes are really nice like when he's in his hum because he's obviously in the film anyway mm. so you can kind of see but like you said the troll often makes these sort of delighted expressions when he's turned someone into a kind of a pod person yeah they turn into pods that are you know that hatch other fairies out of them exactly and he just looks so pleased with himself all the time and you kind of like him yeah <laughs> You're sort of rooting for him to turn this apartment building of misfits into yeah. Muppets that sing songs. <laughs> Especially that song. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's not scary. It's just sort of an unending sequence of strangeness happening in front of you. And I think it doesn't help that the director doesn't do much by way of gently introducing you to new concepts. For example, when the character of Eunice is introduced, you just cut to this old lady in her apartment. You'd seen her previously in the hallway where they do that whole farcical scene where everybody's introduced in one scene. Mm -hmm. Later on, you just cut to her in her apartment painting with a singing mushroom bobbing around next to her. <laughs> and there is no explanation. It's just, what the f is going on here? It's just... Mind-blowingly odd. It's a very phallic-looking mushroom at that, so... Yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help, but... And it's sort of stretching as well. <laughs> That's right. Like it's enjoying her company, yeah. That is. <laughs> <laughs> Which is deeply disturbing. Yes. But it's much like the first time you see the troll full-bodied as well. It's one of these straight-on shots in the laundry room downstairs just pointing out the trolls straight at the wall. It's just like no sort of slow reveal or dramatic reveal. It's just like cut to troll. <laughs> there he is. In all his trolley glory. Yep. Just look at the makeup. And it is a very impressive makeup, but it is. there's not much in terms of style, in terms of introducing him at all. No, I think it was fairly slapdash. I feel like they had however long they had to make this movie and they were just churning through the scenes as fast as that's the way it feels you know they were really putting out a lot of movies i know the thing that jumped out at me when i was watching this and i didn't look anything up before i did my rewatch so i hadn't seen this movie since the 80s oh wow so i sat down and i was like this is going to be like this nostalgia thing for me and so i sat down to watch it and it was like this feels like terror vision and I kept thinking that. And so when I finished watching it, I go look it up. And sure enough, this is the studio that made Terror Vision. And it released within a couple weeks of this movie. Right. Like they were making movies like on top of each other at that studio. Yeah. So this is Empire Films. It's the mastermind of Charles Band. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, they had one successful movie or something and got really excited and bought Dino De Laurentiis' studios in Italy. Yes. At significant cost. <laughs> yeah. And then just started flying Americans out there to make horror and sci-fi and fantasy movies. Yes. For somewhere between half and a million bucks a piece. Sometimes they even stretch to five on something like robot jocks. That's right. A lot of them are terrible, but they are also some of the most fun movies you will ever watch. And, and some of them are advertised within this movie. So if you notice in Harry Potter Jr.'s room, right behind his bed, there's a giant poster for Dungeon Master. Mm -hmm. And right next to his bed, they, he's got a poster for Parasite 3D, which both of those are made by that movie studio. Right. So <laughs> Troll is Empire Pictures' second highest grossing film that it produced itself. It may have distributed some others mm -hmm. after The Eliminators, which I think was 
made the same year. Doesn't sound appealing, does it? No, it doesn't. It sounds like a <laughs> bowel movement again. Well, yeah. I feel like we're on we're on a theme here that it's not great, but <laughs> No, it's not. I think it's robots that one. I haven't seen it. I, I have got this fantastic box set that Arrow Video just put out in the UK that's I think it did it in the US as well. It's like this video store box set and it's lots of Empire movies like Arena and Robot Jocks and Dungeon Master is in there as well and dolls. Mm-hmm. But Troll isn't in there, Aww. presumably because it's one of their biggest hits. <laughs> it cost about a million dollars. It uh, grossed 5.5 million worldwide. It debuted on the 17th of January, 1986. Always the best time to release your movie, mm-hmm. where it placed eighth behind The Color Purple, Iron Eagle, Out of Africa, The Jewel of the Nile, Rocky Four, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and Spies Like Us. I mean, that's stiff competition. It is, yeah. It's pretty impressive. There's a few of them that are obviously sort of Oscar bait. Yeah, absolutely. It's that period just before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was on the short list for the Oscars that year. It was, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, best gay subtext. personally love this movie i think a huge reason that i love this movie is the music right just it works for me it may not be the best in terms of like your very knowledgeable musical ear conrad but for like from my perspective as a kid especially i really loved the score every single bit of it not just the singing muppets <laughs> but i would also say in terms of empire productions that terror vision i know i did a show on dreamland about this years ago is surprisingly good. Like in terms of subtext, there's a whole lot going on in that movie that on a first viewing, you kind of write it off as being really cheesy. But the more you start thinking about it, you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) is this movie really good? I don't even (laughs) want it to be that good. Like, (laughs) so (laughs) Troll is not like that. Troll is pretty much what you see is what you get. Yeah. But I guess I have a soft spot for dark fairy tales And that's kind of what this is. And I think part of the reason a lot of people don't like it is because it's sort of sold as a horror movie. Yeah. And if you're going in wanting that, you're going to be really disappointed. You are, yeah. But it definitely is a grab a huge pile of beers and sit down with your friends and (laughs) just get smashed watching the insanity unroll. Uh I mean, there are just so many strange things happening. (laughs) You mentioned the music. Yes. It's it's by Richard (laughs) Band, who did a lot of these Empire Pictures productions. He's actually a very inventive musician, I think. He's often called upon to make a lot out of a very, very small budget. On this case, he seems to have a pretty good budget because he's got an orchestra and a choir going. Mm -hmm. And this leads at one point to a musical number, which (laughs) I'm sure you love. I love it. I love it so much. Oh my God, it makes me so happy. And I had honestly forgotten how amazing it was. And I kept thinking, God, I hope I don't watch this and just feel really embarrassed. Like when we talked about Shocker and I had loved that movie so much. And then it turned out to be just really terrible. I was worried. I mean, and you may hate this movie, but like I felt, I was like, man, this music is just so great. Like I really want a doom metal, heavy metal version of that Cantos Profane. Yes. Yeah. So it's this little chant 
that the fairy folk are doing. Interestingly, the troll in the movie is the only troll. All the other puppety, muppety goodness, you know, characters, <laughs> they are all like fairies in the fae. Oh, I see. They aren't really trolls. They don't look like fairies, like pretty little women with wings. They're like fairies from like Irish Celtic type mythology and fairy tales, right? Yeah. Scary monsters, but not like trolls. Yeah. And they have this musical number where they're chanting. And I think the mushroom is doing the high part. Yes. So the mushroom is joining in. Yeah. So there's a whole genre of doom metal that is similar to this that had not started by the time this movie came out. And I'm not saying that this movie informed any of that, but it's close. So it's called, a lot of people call it like beauty and the beast metal because you have like the death metal growls with like this beautiful angelic woman sort of coming in every so often and singing really high parts. And I love that genre of doom and death metal. So this movie kind of seems like it's feeding into my love for that okay. sound. The only example I can think of that even approaches that is something like Evanescence, but they're not metal. They're kind of middle of the road. No, but they do get lumped into that genre. Do they? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So imagine Evanescence, but with a singing mushroom and you're pretty much there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe take some mushrooms beforehand. <laughs> You will feel like you took mushrooms beforehand if you watch this movie. You will. <laughs> There's another great musical moment in this film, which is even less motivated than the... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Than the musical number that comes in the middle as the fairies are taking over the apartment building and they get a song. I can understand that. That makes sense. It's kind of like a montage. But then all of a sudden, Harry Potter Sr. played by the immortal Michael Moriarty... <laughs> We've seen him before on this show on The Stuff. Uh-huh. I don't think we were particularly taken with him in that either. Mm. But he is never dull, no. put it that way. No, he's not. And it's established early on that he has a massive record collection, we would call them, but mm -hmm. you know, for the youngsters out there, vinyls. <laughs> and um, for one scene in this movie, we're just treated to the sign of Michael Moriarty as Harry Potter Sr. just rocking out to a track on his vinyl deck. Yes, it's The Summertime Blues by Blue Cheer. And mm -hmm. that song in particular is noteworthy for being one of the biggest inspirations for heavy metal. Right. Yeah. So the sound of it, you can really hear it even in the clip that is in the movie. I was shocked when I heard them playing it. I was like, I didn't remember that Blue Cheer was in this. And any like major metalhead is definitely going to recognize that song. And so you go, was Richard Band a metal guy? Because now we've got two heavy metal things in this movie, which is like probably another reason why I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but the scene is profoundly cheesy and makes no sense why it's even in the movie like it is completely uninformed by anything it doesn't cause anything else to happen other than he doesn't hear a knocking at the door but they could have done that just with the mom washing the dishes like there was no need for that to be in there no and he also doesn't seem to know the words to the song very well no so he's badly lip syncing as he's sort of playing air guitar and like rocking out in the living room with it turned all the way up but it also does feel like something your dad would do that would be really embarrassing. If you walked in with your friends, yeah, and your dad's there in a red jumper and slacks and socks. 
doing air guitar badly to a song he's forgotten the lyrics to. But also the thing that I find really weird, again, for directorial choice, it's shot from a very high angle, diagonally down. Yes. And because the doorway, I think it's a big archway. Yes. He looks like he's a miniature person in a doll's house for some reason. Yeah, it does have that security footage vibe. Yeah. Because it feels like a security cam. Yeah. It's very odd. Like, I don't know. The only thing I can imagine is that someone on that production crew loves that song. Yeah. It's from 1968. So it's not even from the 80s or even the 70s. Like, this is a very old song by this point. But if you think about it, a guy at that time could have been born in like 50 to 55. Hmm. So he would have been about 16 to 18 years old when that song came out. So he could have been like reliving his like teenage years as a dad. So that kind of tracks, but it's just, again, put in there and it's very long, right? Like it's this long clip and you're just like, why are we watching this? Yeah. It's a 90 minute movie. Why is this happening? Right. It's not even that. It's 82 minutes. It's one of those films that when you (laughs) rented it on VHS, it had the big cogs in it, not the little cogs. That's right. Because there was so little tape in the tape that they could have the big (laughs) cogs. And whenever I saw a movie like that, I always thought, oh, this is a cheap movie Mm. because it's got the big cogs. Yeah. It's a sign of quality. It really is. Not good quality. No. (laughs) Star Trek 3 was on the big cogs. I thought, oh, this is a major step down from 2. Was it? Yeah. Oh, dear. I remember. (laughs) The music is good. I do like the song that he's playing during the musical number. In the making of, I think the composer says that he was kind of expecting a bit more out of the sequence than they were able to pull off with the Muppets. He thought they'd be lip syncing a little bit more closely and singing themselves and they're not really. Yeah, so... In this case, because they were really going to have this as a musical number, like you said, he had to produce all of this music early before they started filming any of those scenes so that they could sing along with the music on set. Yeah, And so I think that could be part of the reason why he had more money, because a lot of times if you're waiting till the end, you've used up your budget. Right. <laughs> and so you just kind of cheap out on the music at the end. <laughs> but he was like, "Ooh, I get to be first, so I'm going to do all these things. And so he had that great music. But yeah, the Muppets are also not lip syncing very well. So nobody in this movie lip syncs any of these things well. Like, it's really unfortunate. It is, yeah. Again, it just takes in the whole cheap aesthetic of, you know, take one. Did it vaguely look right? We'll just go with that. (laughs) Cut, print, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's time for Random Trivia. So, Melinda, what fascinating piece of trivia did you learn from your dancing mushroom today? (laughs) I wish I had a dancing mushroom. Um, (laughs) In terms of the wonderful troll song that you know that I love so much, Cantos Profane, Richard Band says he's always been asked about the lyrics and he notes that the words are not actually gibberish because it kind of sounds like they could be gibberish, right? But he says that it's a language that he created that's a cross between Latin and Old English. The lines are supposedly a combination of both languages that have a quote-unquote very specific meaning. He says that some of the lyrics are an inside joke between him and his older brother Charles, Charles Band. Those lyrics in particular are none other than the main repeated phrase, which is, Herba, herba, way, herba, 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 way. 
band says that the literal translation is herbs what's up because herba is obviously like herbs herb herba oh. and then way apparently is something in maybe italian that they said something like that in the area that's like what's up or how's it going oh okay so when i hear that now i think they're talking about weed right <laughs> like herbs what's up you know what's up <laughs> and now we're gonna make this very trippy movie <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense actually i imagine a lot of herbs were yeah. involved in what happens here yeah that's how you conjure the troll right <laughs> definitely and that's our trivia I enjoy the scene where the little girl and then the troll, like, because they're the same thing, right? Yeah. So scenes will cut back and forth, and it's like in one moment it's the little girl, and then suddenly it's the troll. But the troll is like looking out the little girl's bedroom window at the army guy while he's sort of like preening in his car reflection, like in the window. Like yeah. he's looking at himself, and he's very fit, you know, he's very like muscly and toned and stuff. And the troll is kind of looking at him like, mm. and I'm like, that's weird like it's weird <laughs> yeah but then the mum opens the door and it's the little girl yeah and she's just like thank you mommy it's just very unsettling so i think some of the horror if you want to call it horror is not as overt as you would expect for like a b movie like no. you would expect there to be like monsters and i think initially that was the plan they were going to have the troll itself be animatronic oh. or some sort of Muppety puppet thing. It wasn't going to be a guy in a suit. Oh. But then they were like, well, we want this to be a guy in a suit. And they wanted Phil Fondacaro really badly. So what they did was they figured the studio was going to say no because the studio really wanted somebody else to play the little person in the movie. Oh, yeah. Was it Billy Barty or somebody like that? It was Billy Barty. Yeah. So in order to subvert that, they basically got... Phil Fondacaro to come in and they built the troll costume to custom fit it to his body. So he's literally the only person who could have worn that and been in the movie. And then he leveraged that and said, yeah, well, he could play a dual role. So you only have to pay one actor. Right. And so the studio was like sold. Cha -ching. And so that's how he got his way, which I thought was pretty ingenious because yeah. you have like two characters in this movie where you've got like multiple like so in one case you have phil fondacaro playing malcolm mallory and torok the troll but you also have eunice st Clair, who is the old lady who's the witch being played by two different actors so i feel like it kind of comes out in the wash because you have the older version played by june lockhart who is the mom from lassie right and then you have Anne Lockhart, who is her real daughter in real life and who does look a lot like her, playing the younger version for no reason whatsoever, by the way. She just turns young at some point just to be like, suddenly the witch lady is like a hot young thing. And she was on Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I thought I recognized her from somewhere. Yeah, that was her big claim to fame. Yeah. So. It's a weird cast. Sonny Bono being in this movie is very weird. Yeah. He's not great in it. Like, I don't know if Sonny Bono is ever a great actor. I don't think I've ever seen him do anything where he's like, wow, Sonny Bono is Oscar worthy in this movie. No. But it's like a weird pick. And he's like super scummy. He's this guy who's like this total womanizer 
And I don't know how long after his split up from Cher this actually is. Maybe it's a long time. I don't know. But no. it's very odd to see him. And he's like weirdly coming on to and making out with this woman that he's clearly spent the night with. And yeah, she's clearly not into it. She's not into it. She obviously had far too many drinks the night before and she's woken up with Sonny Bono. And now she's deeply, <laughs> deeply ashamed of herself and just wants to get out of there. With her little yeah. 80s cocktail dress. It's so cute. Yeah. The notorious part of that scene, of course, being that he's making out with her on the couch and he's like, do you want breakfast? Like, she's ready to leave. And then he goes, do you want breakfast? And she's like, you can see her kind of thinking about it. Like, well, yeah, that would be nice. You know, thinking, well, maybe I could get breakfast out of this deal. And he goes, there's pancake mix in the kitchen. Why don't you go make us some? <laughs> I'm like, this guy sucks. Like, he's just the worst. Yeah, he's terrible. I like that he says to her, was it as you expected? And she just says, yeah, it was more than I expected. You know, <laughs> as in far worse. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you have a main character who's called Harry Potter, which, of course, is one of those fun little trivia things about this movie, that this is the cinema's first Harry Potter incarnation. And you have two Harry Potters. You have Harry Potter Sr. and Harry Potter Jr. So you get to hear the name so many times. And I don't know if it jumped out at you, hmm. but often in movies, like let's take The NeverEnding Story since we're talking about Atreyu. Yeah. When you hear Bastion's name, do you know his last name? I mean, you may know it, but like... Like, does any normal audience member know his last name? No, no, because you're not calling him his full name. But Harry Potter, for some reason in this movie, every single time either one of them says their name, they say both names. Yeah, every single time. I happen to know he's Bastion Balthazar Bucks, but that's just because <laughs> I've read the book. Okay. But yeah, no, they mention Harry Potter all the time. Harry Potter Jr., Harry Potter Sr. They don't call Wendy, Wendy Potter. No. It's just Harry Potter. It's yeah. very weird. It's very, very weird. And he even has one line in the movie, can you teach me to be a magician? Yes. Says Harry Potter. And he's being trained by a witch. Mm. I don't know whether J.K. Rowling has a comment on this. Well, they sued her. Really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. how did that go? <laughs> she was like, you're ridiculous. I've never even heard of your movie. <laughs> they didn't win. They didn't get anywhere, but they did try to come after her for the similarities. They're fairly superficial. There's not anything of real consequence that's that close, in my opinion. But No, there isn't. But it's just curious. It's really funny and odd more than anything else. I, I really don't think that J.K. Rowling was probably aware of this movie. And if she were, like, why would she rip it off? Because it's, I love it, but it's a very odd movie. It's not like a sleeper hit or something. It may be the reason why she's so concerned about men disguising themselves as young girls and getting into women's spaces. <laughs> Perhaps this is it. Could be. This is the reason. It could be. <laughs> I mean, it, it's great to assume that she has a reason other than just... Being a bigot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. It's the Moobly Awards, everyone's favorite part of the podcast where we nominate our favorite mystical vine-covered parts of the film in a number of fairy-infested categories. <laughs> Best quote. Uh, my favorite quote is, have you been playing with dead cats? <laughs> 
It's a very curious accusation, isn't it? It is. So at the very beginning of the film, when the little sister Wendy bounces her ball into the the laundry room slash basement of this apartment building, the brother goes to look for her because she's being taken over by the troll. And he's just looking around in the room and he says that into the nothingness. And it's just like is this something she does? Because that makes it seem less likely that all of her shenanigans that she starts doing when she becomes the troll are out of line with her normal character. Exactly. I did wonder about this. The troll is more troll-like when he's the little girl than when he's the Mm -hmm. troll. He's vicious. And then sometimes she's as cute as anything. But yeah, she's feral at some point. Yeah, it's very weird. And I think that's one of the most problematic parts of the film, honestly. Yeah, uh, is her just sometimes wigging out and just snarling and growling and throwing things at people, and then turning back into a little girl and being like, "Yes, mommy." Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite quote, Conrad? Um, mine is actually a, a fairly serious or wry one. It comes from Eunice, and it comes after Harry reveals he's scared but doesn't quite know why, and she says, "Keep talking like that, and you'll become an adult." Ah, uh, that's a great line. It is, yeah. Best hair or costume? So for me, um, I just have an emotional attachment to Wendy Ann's overall sets. Like every single scene, she changes her clothes every day, but she's wearing these cute little girl overalls with like a little t-shirt underneath. And she's wearing jelly shoes with socks. And she's got the, the front pigtails with the rubber bands that have the little plastic hard piece on the top. (laughs) It's so on point to exactly how we dressed in the 80s. My best friend growing up looked just like her. She had the long blonde hair and the bangs. So she looks just like Carol Ann from Poltergeist. She's got the cute little like pink overalls. And then in one scene, it's like red overalls. But she's just darling. Love it. Yep. That's exactly what I wrote down as well. She must have a wardrobe that's just full of dungarees. (laughs) That's That's what we would call them in the UK. Yeah. Oh, okay. Different colors, yes. pink, stripe, red, everything. I love that as well as her jelly shoes, she's also got like the pink socks with like the rollover frilly bits on the top. Yes. And then in one scene, she wears this cute little dress. She's wearing like these socks that are full knee socks. Yeah. That come all the way up to the knee. And you're just like, man, that is not something a little girl would wear now. Like even at her age, like you would be trying to look like posh. Yeah. But back then it was just very much little girly stuff. Yeah, you were just loaded with pink and plastic, basically. Absolutely. Most 80s moment. I was going to vote for Sonny Bono's bachelor pad. That's exactly what I said! Yes! (laughs) Black and red furniture, faux Asian influences, golden dragons on the wall and lettering on Uh, the blinds, a bar, disco lights. An arcade game. Ugh, it's awful. Yes. He had these lights. They look like traffic lights over here. They weren't those colors. But I don't know if you noticed this, Conrad. They were set up so that every time anyone spoke, they lit up. Yes. What is that? Is that a thing? Yeah, it is. So basically, it's supposed to be responding to the music that he's playing. But of course, they're not playing any music on the set. So it's just lighting up every time they speak. I was like, why would you want that? So it's really funny because because that's doing that and it's turned on like every time he talks it's like flashing with his voice but there's this point where the little girl is saying stuff gotcha here i am and like in one of those scenes it doesn't light up so you can tell 
she wasn't really saying that at that moment. Yeah, it's ADR. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow. Dan would love that. <laughs> Yay! I rarely <laughs> notice stuff like that. I only caught it on the second viewing. <laughs> favorite scene! My favorite scene is the singing fairy scene. Like, it's just, to me, by far and away, the very best. It starts with Malcolm reading the fairy queen at dinner with the parents. And then they start singing, Herba, Herba, way, Herba, 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 way. <laughs> and then it ends with Eunice blowing this amazing horn that like freaks them all out and they all stop. I mean, every single bit of that is like gold to me. Yeah. Wendy even stops eating her rat burger. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite scene was probably the hallway farce where all of the characters in the apartment building are introduced. It's chaotic and clunky and ridiculous, but it has a kind of energy that's really engaging and kind of draws you into the madness of the movie, sets mm -hmm. the tone for the film. And I think actually the actors are all really good in that scene. Even Sonny Bono's not too bad. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, agree. I like that scene. Most cliche fantasy moment. My favorite cliched, I guess, I guess we can say sci-fi fantasy or maybe just fantasy moment because I feel like this movie should be considered fantasy more than horror. I'm going to go with lightning shooting out of everything. Oh, God, like yeah. it's just every magical instrument, whether it's the ring or whether it's the spear or whether it's just the bad guy, giant heart of the trolls universe thing. They all kind of shoot this electrical lines of, you know, rotoscoped, whatever. It's just hilarious. Oh yeah. You've got to have that. Yeah, for sure. Bright neon primary colored rotoscoped stuff. <laughs> Love <laughs> yes. it. Yes. It's not an 80s fantasy movie. It doesn't have that in. My biggest cliche, not really a fantasy cliche, but it's woman who unpins and lets her hair down instantly looks decades younger. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, that's like the, the sexy secretary. She takes off the glasses and shakes her hair out and suddenly she's... Yeah. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was yeah. just thinking if she'd had glasses, she might have made it back to her 20s. <laughs> That's probably why they left that off, because the actual actress was in her 30s, I believe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. if she'd had a kid, they could have gone one step further. <laughs> Best special effect. We've already talked about my favorite special effect. It's Sonny Bono turning into a giant green turd, which is quite apt, I think. But I just love the sort of three or four stages of cutting away from him and cutting back. And he's got a different makeup on. At some point, he transitions into a full puppet with his head pulsating violently. It's really grim and it quite really shocking is. and gets your attention and hooks you into the movie. So, yeah, I love it. That's my pick as well. And then it ends with a little baby Bigfoot running out of the pod. Yes. <laughs> it looks like a little cousin it just running away into the the viney wilderness that has become his apartment yeah so i love it yeah favorite sound effect uh, my favorite sound is the weird twang that happens when harry potter's spear lights up at the tip <laughs> ding. yes ding. well it's funny because i picked the same sound but not the same thing so it's the sound of the ring uh, when yeah. the troll like turns Wendy Ann into like, or when he becomes her or whatever. I think it's the same sound effect though. It's a great sound effect. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. How do you describe that? What do you think makes that sound? I think it's a synthesizer. It's just like a really high pitched synthesizer tone. Okay. Yeah. It's really interesting sounding and it sounds like a sound effect you would hear on like 
He-Man. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, it's you know? kind of like in the library of laser and magical yeah. sound effects, I think. Yeah. But I love it. Most funniest moment. I think the funniest scene, Tree Eunice shows up outside the door of the Potter family apartment and says, <laughs> shut that damn door. He can't take over if you keep him out of your home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the dad closes the door and looks at the mom and he says, I'm going to listen to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's quite fun because everything's gone out the window at this point. There's massive tentacle vines sticking out of the building, Ray Harryhausen style <laughs> with people on the street screaming at it. And yeah. Yeah. We've gone completely off the rails at this stage. Yeah. The thing that made me laugh most in the movie is just a little thing. And it's just my stupid little mind. But when you cut to Malcolm's pod after Malcolm has been sort of injected with the ring and he's just about to emerge as a sort of little fairy version of himself. But while he's the pod, it's sort of quivering rhythmically mm -hmm. and it kind of looks like he's masturbating in there. It really does because <laughs> it's very furiously and fastly shaking yeah, in I mean, this very unfortunate way. Yeah. yeah, he's nearly there is the sense I'm getting. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably like an inside joke at least within the, the team like that they were probably like this will be hilarious <laughs> to the teenage boys who are going to watch this movie like they're all going to get that because I got it too I was like okay that's just unfortunately <laughs> and that's our mooblies that's it hello this is Robert Picardo and you're listening to Movie Oubliette <laughs> It's time for our final verdicts. Should John Beekler's troll from 1986 be rescued from its glass coffin and pulled back out of the vine-infested forest? Or should we throw a golden spear into its giant hairy chest and watch it implode while choruses of fairies sing its wake? Conrad, <laughs> what do you think? Wow, amazing. I don't think there's a huge amount of suspense about your opinion of this movie. <laughs> what do you mean? I could, I could surprise you. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about this movie. It's really strange because it's kind of amateurish. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make a great deal of sense. Nope. It doesn't have consistent production values. Not at all. And if you're going into it thinking it's a horror movie, you're going to be deeply, deeply disappointed apart from seeing Sonny Bono reach a, a revolting <laughs> and somehow satisfying end. But it's there's something about it that's still strangely likable. It's got a quirky cast. It's got a character called Harry Potter. There are things in it that just make no sense whatsoever. But if you're along for the ride, you can just go with it. Like, oh, yeah, there's a singing mushroom now. Fine. <laughs> and it is kind of a weird fantasy. And there's lots of really funny lines in it. Particularly, I love the relationship between Eunice and Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, I think she's hilarious. It's kind of ramshackle, silly, 82 minutes of silliness with some gross 80s special effects in it. And as much as Ice Pirates, which I also loved <laughs> as a prepubescent child, just didn't hold up when I watched it again as an adult, this, I still had a good time. I don't think I'd recommend it to somebody over, you know, <laughs> Schindler's List or something. <laughs> oh, but uh, if you've never seen Troll and you love 80s special effects movies, you should see Troll. So I think for a certain audience, I think they'd eat this up. I think it's great fun. What about you? Well, as you said, obviously, I am in love with this movie in a weird way. Part of it for me is probably nostalgia. It was a huge 
you know, nostalgia trigger when I watched it again. And, and I remembered how much I loved it and watched it so many times at such a pivotal age. But I do, I think it holds up and I think it's bizarre enough that it's fun on the rewatch. It's it's not just kind of boring or necessarily dated. It's still really surreal. <laughs> and I think that it speaks to being from that production studio in that time because mm. I really do love Charles Band and he does a lot of stuff that is very fun to watch. It's not high cinema. No. But it is kind of like my favorite type of movie to watch, honestly. Like I love a really bad cheesy movie. <laughs> or, you know, it's so good so bad it's good kind of thing. And he's great at making movies like that. And it has some parts of it that are actually good. It's just that it's not consistent, like you said. And there are tons of holes in the plot, but like if you like 80s movies and you've you've uh, everyone's heard of Troll 2. We haven't mentioned Troll 2. It's sort of notoriously one of the worst movies ever made. People talk about it, it has a huge documentary about it. And I always feel like Troll 1 is much more, obviously the two are not related at all. No. But it, Troll 1 is like this sort of forgotten, it's in the oubliette, it's it's this forgotten treasure of the 80s because it's just this fantasy movie. And most people just really didn't, I don't think it resonated for them, but it's great. Yeah, it is. It's, it's curious how the second movie, which is an absolute disaster, <laughs> has completely overshadowed the original, which at least was trying to achieve something, whereas the second one is just, just the source of a lot of internet memes. I feel like the people who made this movie, whether they were competent or whether they had a lot of experience or whether they had a very big budget, I feel like they really cared about like telling the story as weird as it is. Yeah. There was a little bit of like creativity in it and you know they were doing as much as they could with the small amount that they had and it kind of shines through whereas you you have Troll 2 which also didn't have a huge budget but just kind of feels a little more soulless and weird. Like it's not weird in the same way. It's just it's just, like terrible. Yeah, dumb, yeah. <laughs> well, that's our verdict. We're unanimous. But let's check out and see what those patrons say. Mm. Hello, Hal. Yes, Conrad. I'd like you to fetch the patrons' vote, please. You know, I'm capable of a lot more than this, Conrad. Yeah, I know, Hal, but please, just humor us if you would. Okay. Disappointingly, our patrons have decided to set the film free. Yes, so it's unanimous. The patrons were on our side. Hooray for Troll. Yep. Not a single vote against it. Eddie Coulter said, I say let the troll out into the world. The true Harry Potter must reclaim his name. <laughs> well, you know, at the end of the movie, it's very ambiguous because while he didn't meet his three-day deadline, I guess, I don't know. I don't know exactly when the cutoff is, but at the very end of the movie, you have those two police officers, one of whom stumbles into the fairy world. So does that mean it just takes a while for the door to close or is it's very unclear if any of the people survive because Eunice, young Eunice, is still walking around outside. Did she only survive because she's a witch? I mean, we haven't talked about this, but Professor Mallory was dying of like mm. ostensibly some sort of bone cancer or something terrible like that. And so the troll actually kind of got consent without 
explicitly asking like would you like to be in an elf body and would you like to live in a magical world and he's like yeah of course and so does that mean he died or is is he living in this sort of alternate reality now like yeah we assume the two guys died because they literally exploded (laughs) but what happened to julia louis dreyfus is she still prancing around in there yeah what happened to her boyfriend is he prancing with her we never see him again he just sort of runs off with her and she's like giggling is the troll still going to take over the world possibly do we have to wait till next year on Valpurgis night and <laughs> see them all again it's not very resolved so there's plenty of sequel opportunities there and Chazilla says loved it such interesting characters but as Dan would say I have so many questions how did Eunice's wizard teacher become a mushroom what happened to all the people when the troll was defeated are they living in an enchanted forest somewhere? So just what you're saying. Yeah. If so, are there several naked Elaines cavorting about in it being chased by a swinging Sonny Bono? Doesn't really matter. Troll was just so much fun to watch. The Lockhart women were in it. We got to see Michael Moriarty doing a ridiculous dance. And there's a troll musical number. Grab a bag of rat burgers and lead the trolls out of the oubliette to wreak musical havoc on the world. <laughs> bag of rat burgers. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I do kind of wish I could hear Dan's feedback on this movie. Like, I can only imagine what he would have thought about this acid trip of a movie. He is going to watch it because he's never (laughs) seen it before. Yeah. Oh, well, I hope I get to hear what he thinks because it's funny, like hearing someone who's not from our generation react to this is probably a little different. Yeah, I can hear, just like Chazilla says, I can hear Dan saying, I have so many questions. I'm sure (laughs) he will. I can too. I can. Yeah. So thanks for voting, patrons. That was uh, very helpful. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess we better let this sucker go. Cheerio, troll. <laughs> Bye. So, Conrad, what movie are we doing next time? Well, next time we'll be going into 2006 out of the 80s to watch a psychological thriller film directed by the exorcist man himself, William Friedkin. Bug. So not to be confused with a bug's life. No, I don't think so. (laughs) It could be. I've never seen it or heard of it. I have not either. I'm intrigued. I can't wait to hear it. I won't be joining you, No, but I will be there in spirit. Yes. Voting on the Patreon's vote. <laughs> Voting on the Patreon. I'll have to go watch the movie Yeah, <laughs> in advance so that I can vote on it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Well, it's been so much fun, Conrad, talking with you about this favorite classic film from my childhood <laughs> that is like dearly treasured by me. Yes. <laughs> I'm um, glad it fared better than Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being my guest co-host and keeping me company Yes, while Dan is enjoying himself somewhere in the yes. outback. We did miss you, Dan, and I hope you're having a wonderful vacation. So. Yes. And if you guys want to send us some postcards from your holiday, just head on over to our socials. We're at MovieOubliette everywhere, even on Thread, if you've gone on to Thread. And you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. And you can also head on over to Patreon to support the show, where for as little as a dollar, you can gain access to extended portions of the show. For $5, you get our exclusive monthly minisodes and a chance to vote on the film, just like our patrons did today. And for $10, you can be an executive producer and get behind-the-scenes info, like our executive producers, Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, Isaac Sutton, Dr. Doggy, and Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. 
Hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. That's it for now, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and open up the movie you'll be at. Honey, did you do drugs before we met?